Welcome to episode 27 of A Pushing History. I am Mitchell Adkins, your host for today, as we will be diving deeper into the constitutional debates and conventions of early colonial America. The date is March 1st, 1781, and the Articles of Confederation have just been ratified as the temporary government of the new United States. Having just broken away from Britain in 1776 and declaring independence as a nation, the American people needed a solution to keep their new nation on its feet. Having only one branch of government seemed like a fantastic idea and worked for a while but ultimately had its flaws. The American states evolved from separate colonies with their own unique histories, societies, and customs. In the years before and during the revolution, they learned to find common cause with each other but they hardly saw themselves as a unified nation, and had differing views on a number of issues. The Articles of Confederation exemplifies this mindset. This document created a confederacy, in which states considered themselves independent entities, linked together for limited purposes, such as national defense and trade. State governments maintain the sovereignty to rule within their own territories, while the national government have reduced influence and few powers, making things difficult. The national level could only coin money, direct the post office, and negotiate with foreign powers, including the indigenous Native American tribes. To raise money or soldiers, it could only request that the states contribute to provide what was needed. The national government had only one branch, the Confederate Congress, in which states had one vote. In this system, Virginia had no more power than Delaware. Also, if they wanted to make a change to either their government or confederation, nine out of the 13 states had to vote in favor of the modification for it to be passed. A government that holds more power in one state than the whole nation is never ideal, as we have learned from history. The newly established United States seems to be headed for chaos with growing tensions within states. Under the Articles of Confederation, there was not only political turmoil, but economic hardships as well. Without adequate authority in the centralized federal government, the government was unable to effectively tax the people. So, Mitch, to avoid any perception of taxation without representation, the Articles of Confederation allowed only state governments to levy taxes. To pay for its expenses, the national government was forced to request money from the states. The states, however, were often negligent in this duty, and so the national government was routinely underfunded. Without these funds, the United States government was unable to pay for debts owed from the Revolutionary War or to secure new funds. Foreign governments were also very reluctant to loan money to a nation that may not be able to repay its debts. And the fiscal problems of the central government meant the currency it issued, called the Continental, was basically worthless. The country's economic woes were further impacted by the fact that the central government also lacked the power to impose tariffs on imports or regulate interstate commerce. Thus, it could not protect American producers from foreign competitors. Compounding this problem, states often imposed tariffs on items produced by other states and interfered with their neighbors' trade. Also, under the Articles of Confederation, the federal government was often unable to pay soldiers and militia for their service in the recent Revolutionary War. Angered militia and crunch tree men rioted and protested the unjust government. A notable example was Shays' Rebellion in Massachusetts. 
This rebellion involved former soldiers who opposed state policies causing poverty and property foreclosures. Numerous innocent citizens and civilians were injured during these uprisings, and the colonies spiraled into a time of great economic depression and chaos. The American people, including most state representatives, agreed that although this method of government was liberating, it was largely ineffective. Citizens started to wonder if they would be postured to defend themselves if attacked by a foreign power. At the time, it seemed as if the only resolution was to modify the government. Little did the American people know that soon enough, they would have a completely new and improved form of government and an evenly balanced democracy. The first attempt to alter the Articles of Confederation was the Annapolis Convention. Due to a poor turnout with only five states and limited power among them, few decisions were made. The Annapolis Convention, formerly titled as a meeting of commissioners to remedy defects of the federal government, was held September 11th through 14th, 1786. It was quickly decided that a larger convention with far more representatives and states was needed to come to a proper agreement about the changed confederation. In a Pennsylvania state house located in Philadelphia from May 14th to September 17th, 1787, a series of debates known as the Constitutional Convention would change the United States government forever. George Washington was asked to represent the convention as its president. The original states, except Rhode Island, collectively appointed 17 individuals to the Constitutional Convention. A number of these prominent people did not accept or could not attend including Richard Henry Lee, Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Samuel Adams, and John Hancock. In all, 55 delegates attended the Constitutional Convention sessions, but only 39 signed the, signed the Constitution. The delegates varied in age, from Jonathan Taylor, 26, to Benjamin Franklin, 81. Samuel Adams, who was the Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts, helped to create the Articles of Confederation and was selected to meet at the Constitutional Convention, but failed to attend in 1787 because he was against the plan of revising his ideas in the form of a Constitutional Convention. With the general goal of the Convention being set on bettering the Articles of Confederation, the delegates wondered what the best form of state representation in government would be. How could all states have balanced power? How could the federal government tie all of the states together? Well, Mitch, the main goal of the Constitutional Convention at first was to alter the Articles of Confederation. It was quoted by Delegate John Langdon from New Hampshire, the sole and exclusive purpose of a convention. One of the first agreements and modifications at the Constitutional Convention included the Virginia Plan. This plan, proposed by James Madison, entailed multiple documents the first of which hosted a proposal to split the powers into three separate branches, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches. This plan also stated that the legislative branch should have two houses in which each state would be represented in their proportion to populations. This idea was very unpopular among the states as it diminished their power and bolstered its central government. Representatives from physically smaller states, such as Delaware and Connecticut, were very angered as they believed that they should have an equal number of votes and voice as the larger states. With this verdict, the New Jersey Plan was soon proposed. 
The New Jersey plan stated that each state, regardless of size, would have one vote under the Articles of Confederation. This created friction with the larger states, such as Virginia and the Carolinas, whose delegates believed more votes should assimilate to larger population areas. Some slave states, such as Carolinas and Virginia, even tried to influence their state's population by recommending the inclusion of slaves when discussing the residential population, which was very unfair. With negative opinions about the Virginia and New Jersey plans, the delegates integrated the best characteristics of both plans to create the Connecticut Compromise in an attempt to appease both the larger and smaller states of colonial America. The Connecticut Compromise stated that, the, that instead of having one house with equal representation, there will be two houses. The first house, the House of Representatives, would represent each state according to population, and the second house, the Senate, would have two representatives regardless of population of the state. To appease primarily the southern states, the convention decided to allow three-fifths of the slave population to be counted into the population of the state, granting just enough power to the states practicing slavery. This became known as the Three-Fifths Compromise, embedded within the Connecticut Compromise. This plan ended up being agreed on by all at the Constitutional Convention, and still applies in our country to this day. To, con to ensure that the abilities of the government did not overshadow the rights of the people, a right-granting document was proposed to be included in the Constitution, the proposal by Delegate Charles Pinckney was submitted to the Committee on Detail on August 20, 1787, but following a brief debate, was rejected. Most delegates thought that it gave too much power to the people. The framers, and notably James Madison, its principal architect, believed that the Constitution protected liberty primarily through its division of powers, but made it difficult for an oppressive majority to form and capture power to be used against minorities. The Bill of Rights consists of ten main amendments or rights that are invested in the people of the United States to include the freedom of speech, right to trial, right to bear arms, and many more freedoms. The Bill of Rights kept the power of the United States and the people. Many more amendments were added over time and can still be added today, but the Bill of Rights will always keep our country a free democracy. Ultimately, the Constitution made a stronger government and it added federalism, which divided the power between the states and the central government. This new structure did not grant any state or federal position an unreasonable level of power. Furthermore, this concept ensured a dictatorship or monarchy would not be re-established. The Constitution became formalized and was implemented in the United States at the conclusion of the constitutional debates. But what did this new government look like? How did the government function with so much spread out power? So, when we're talking about this new government under the Constitution, there are three branches within the government. First, we have the legislative branch, which is made up of the House and the Senate, known collectively as the Congress. Among other powers, the legislative branch makes all laws, declares war, regulates interstate and foreign commerce, and controls taxing and spending policies. Next, we have the executive branch, which includes the president, the vice president, the executive office of the president, and the cabinet. The primary powers of the executive branch are the ability to veto, reject, or propose laws, and to negotiate with foreign countries and appoint federal judges. Lastly, we have the judicial branch, which 
has a system of federal courts and judges that interpret laws which are created by the legislative branch, which are enforced by the executive branch, which is how all three of these branches tie together. And in the judicial branch, there are nine justices of the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the United States of America. The primary role of the judicial branch is to interpret state laws, settle disputes, protect rights that were granted by the Constitution, and to determine innocence or guilt in any relation to the Constitution. The three branches of government form the systematic governing that United States Americans live under today. But the last essential question that remains is how did this Constitution affect the people of the United States, and how are matters of violence dealt with moving forward? Life under the Constitution was much more complex and efficient than life under the Articles of Confederation. The Constitution indicted court systems which led to a more safe and grand quality of life. The Constitution also gave the ability to tax individuals, rather than how the Articles of Confederation did not. With this new ability to impose tax on citizens, the federal government quickly became suited to deal with possible outbreaks of chaos and violence in the United States. For instance, unlike the ability to deal with the outbreaks of Shays' Rebellion under the Articles of Confederation, the new Constitution and its tax-funded army could deal with violence quite easily. One example of violence being dealt with under the Constitution would be the Whiskey Rebellion. One of the first taxes on products sold in the U.S. after the Constitution was whiskey. Many angry Americans protested and rioted over the tax, but were met in Pennsylvania by 13,000 militiamen under control of the federal government before a mass amount of damage was done. Lastly, the Constitution also implemented the Law of the Land that affected states' rights. Life under the Confederation was state-oriented, so people would be more loyal to their state rather than their country. With this said, life and government under the Constitution was a major improvement over life with the Articles of Confederation, and will continue to lead the United States for many more years to come. Join us in Episode 28 of A Pushing History next time. Thank you.